Welcome to Living Free Today, a ministry of Cornerstone Fellowship in San Lorenzo, California. These podcasts are the weekly sermons of Dr. Michael L. Wilson. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. If you would open your Bibles, please, to Psalm 133. Psalm 133 is a short, very flowery, very poetic psalm. It is written by David, and it was written when he was a king, because he talks about unity, and he talks about unity, therefore, of his kingdom. And so only when he had people below him would he talk about unity. He says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. This psalm is about unity. And it's much, 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 much easier to rule a kingdom or a city or a state or a country if there is unity. We in the United States have a motto. I did not know, don't know if you knew that we had a motto. Our motto is E Pluribus Unum. E Pluribus Unum means out of many, one. And it is our motto, and so we put it on our money. That's the basket of a $1 bill. If you look at your $1 bills, if you have any $1 bills, it says above the eagle's head in kind of a ribbon there, E Pluribus Unum, out of many, one. It'll appear here and there on coins. This is an older quarter. It says E Pluribus Unum. When they put the states on the quarters, I guess they ran out of room, but they started putting it on the pennies. So it is on our money. It is on the presidential seal. It is on the seal of the United States. Whenever you see the big circle with the eagle on it and the the uh, arrows being held in the talon and the flag behind it on above the eagle's head, it does say E Pluribus Unum. That is the motto of the United States. And it was built out of the desire for the United States to be a melting pot where you would come from whatever culture and society, whatever background you had, you would come to America You would pour your life into America, into the melting pot, and you would come out American. And America would have all this variety and diversity in it, but the uniform unity of America was we are all Americans. And that idea is falling into an interesting view these days, but from the back, the earliest parts where... Everybody was basically an immigrant. Everybody became American and they stood with America. And so this psalm, not talking about America, but talking about Israel, says, Behold, in other words, look. In other words, this is a thing. This is something you've got to look at. How good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And when we look at this and we say, yeah, that's true, how can we have that today? How can we have this understanding today? I think the idea of unity 
in large sections of America is fallen by the wayside, and we will talk about why that is. But it would be easier for Gavin Newsom, our governor, to govern the state if we all had some level of unity, if we were all, as people say today, on the same page as our governor, if we were all working for the same thing, but we seem to be working at counter purposes today. And so there are three verses in Psalm 133. Verse 2 talks about a precious oil. Verse 3 talks about dew on a mountain. And what do these have to do with unity? They don't really talk about unity as much as David is saying, Behold how good and pleasant it is. Unity is a very good and pleasant thing. And so what other things are good and pleasant? What other things bring about a blessing? And when he's thinking about this, the two things he came up with through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit was oil and dew. And it says it's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. Now, what is David talking about here? If you go back into Exodus, starting at about Exodus 38 to the end and the first part of Leviticus, God has given Moses instructions on how to worship him, on how to get your sins forgiven, and how to be in unity with God. Because if you go back even to the Garden of Eden, when God created Adam and Eve, they were in community, they were in social unity with God. It says they walked together in the cool of the evening, and so walking beside God brings about a community, but they broke that, and the whole last part of Genesis all the way up until Exodus is a story of breaking the covenant, breaking the covenant, breaking the covenant, breaking the covenant, and God always saying, but I have steadfast, loyal love to you, therefore I will keep coming to you. And so in Exodus, starting at around 38 to 40, and into Leviticus, a system is being set up where people can have unity where the Jewish people can be God's people. And how can they have community with God? Well, they need to have their sins forgiven. And so they built the tabernacle. They built the Ark of the Covenant, which sits in the Holy of Holies, the most holy place, Ark of the Covenant being the most holy object on the face of the earth. But somebody had to manage all this. Somebody had to carry blood into the Ark of the Covenant, and that would be the high priest. The first high priest was Aaron. Aaron was just a guy. He was just somebody who was a slave in Egypt, that God brought them all out. He's nothing special. He was of the tribe of Levi. But beyond that, God picked him and said, you are going to be the first high priest, not because of his righteousness, but because of God's righteousness and God's love. And so the whole part, last part of Exodus is about the various dress and the breastplate and the turban and the little things that go here and there on his shoulders and the stones and the precious metal. And then when he's all done, 
he's all bathed and dressed, they would take oil. And this oil is not used for anything other than this. And they would pour it on his head. They would anoint him. And according to scripture, the act of pouring the oil on the high priest's head or Aaron's head consecrated him, made him holy, made him righteous, made him pure in God's eyes. It was a symbolic act that removed Aaron's sin so that he could stand in the presence of God and not be killed. And if you look at the, the wonder of this, of here's a guy who, I mean, you look at the people back then and they're wandering through the desert and they're probably dirty and they're mucky and it's dusty. And God says, well, I'm going to take this one guy and I'm going to make him special. And then the idea throughout the rest of the Old Testament is that Aaron's kids, Aaron's grandkids, Aaron's great-grandkids, people of the tribe of Levi would all be the priests and the high priests until Jesus came. Jesus came the first time, died on the cross, and ended that system. Today the Jewish people do not have a high priest. And so looking at this miracle, this amazing thing, this, this wonder of God, that is like unity. Now how is that like unity? Well, unity comes from God. There is no unity, and you can look at anything today. The, I was thinking about what organizations have unity and the only one that I could come up with was the military. When I was in the military, I dressed like everybody else, I talked like everybody else, I walked like everybody else, and when one person would say, you 50 people do this, these 50 people would do this, we were, by threat of prison, put on the same page with everybody else. I mean, you volunteer to go into the military today, and when you do, you are turning over your rights for four years or 20 years or however long you're in so that you can be on the same page. If you look at any employment, if you look at any government, the, the unity of people being on the same page in purely voluntary organizations seems to be falling by the wayside. And to have God intervene and to make us holy, to make us righteous in his eyes, which is what he does when we become a Christian, the only organization that can have true unity is a church, the only organization where people can come and have anything happen in the week before. They can come from anywhere and when they come into this building, we are on the same page for the things that matter. We are on the same page with who Jesus Christ is, of what the Bible is, of how to teach these things. That is something that seems to be built into the Christian community, the Christian experience. Now, some churches split. 
That is a break of unity. Some churches will get factions in them where people will want things run their way and they begin to put away the unity that God has given to the church. And so it is also an amazing thing. It is an amazing thing when we look at the various backgrounds, when we look at the various people that are represented here today, how we can call each other brothers and sisters and how in fact we can love one another, which is a command of Jesus that requires a level of unity, a level of being all on the same page before I can bear your burdens, before I can spur you on to good works, before I can do things that require trust and understanding. And so the second thing is the dew of Hermon. Back in the time of David, Mount Hermon was considered to be the tallest mountain in all of Israel. It was really, really tall. Now that we have a bigger understanding of the Middle East, there are taller mountains, but it's the biggest mountain that David knew. And there was, there's like a proverbial idea that anything good weather-wise that came to Jerusalem, which was several hundred miles south of Hermon, it hit Hermon first, that Hermon was the source of good weather, of, of seeds sprouting, of dew in the morning, that the idea of a mountain being a mystical place that God used as a source of all good weather is what this is seen. And so it shows again that God is in charge of the dew, the rain. God is the one that makes soil work and seeds work so that you can put seeds in the ground and dew will water it in the morning and the seeds will sprout and you will get plants and you may get food out of that. And so the, the idea that this oil to consecrate a priest and the dew that is a gift from God are like the blessings of unity. That if I have unity in a church, then the blessings will flow down. That when somebody has a great blessing in their life, and they come to church, and in Bible study or Sunday school, they share it. We can all share in the wonder and the glory of that blessing. I can hear things that you say, and I can praise God with you because we have a unity, because God's blessing tends to spread out, that if one person is blessed in a church, the whole church is blessed, and as the whole church is blessed, we all begin to see God's blessing. And so, what is this that has broken it in our society? I think you can go back to the 1800s, the 1910s, the 1920s, and the things that were written about how pro-America businesses were and pro-America things were and people were and the idea that we are now, I mean, there, there are very famous people who will stand up and say, even though America has made them rich, they now hate America and they want America to be destroyed, which is a confusing thing when you look at how things used to be. Now, sociologists have looked at this and they have said 
Societies change, as sociologists will say, and they kind of trace the change. And in America, you had the 60s, and in the 60s, it was freedom, it was breaking the bonds of the man. You know, you, you, you quit your job and you dropped out, and these various ideas that were presented in the 60s. And what that brought about in America was a very large influence of things like Buddhism, things like Hinduism, and different religious ideas rather than the church that's on the corner is the only speaker of truth. And people began to question things that they, be, that they looked at in their life. And in the 70s, sociologists consider the decade of the 70s the me decade. It is the decade where people would say, well, I'm going to go find myself. Okay, ever heard that phrase? That came out of the 70s. My dad always wondered about that and said, well, I should give them a mirror because there you are, I can find myself. But people would drop out, people would quit their organizations, people would leave churches, people would leave social groups in order to find themselves and, another, and to get a more understanding of who they are because the, the focus on me, making me happy, making me fulfilled was the point of the 70s, and then you bring that into the, the wealth and then the crash of the 80s, and the people begin to really question all of their foundational aspects of things. They no longer trusted perhaps the, the Department of Public Works or the building department in the government or various, you know, the IRS or agencies that were now seen as against people really came out during this time and what happened was people lumped in church with all these other things. They would stop going to PTA and church because church is just like the PTA was what people were writing during the 70s. And that brought about a movement away from trusting the government and trusting the authority of the church trusting anything that went along with somebody out there telling me what to do. And that has grown, and people have said, and it was actually President Clinton was the first one who presented the idea that America was becoming divided. And he actually, after he won the first time, had what is called a unity speech. Because every president seems to, after they win, get up there and say, you may not have voted for me, but you're all part of my family. And President Clinton commented on how America was getting divided. And I believe he saw things that other people did not have the clearance to see, if you will. Bush said the same thing, President Obama gave several unity speeches saying we all need to come together. President Trump all, did that also when he won. And then Joe Biden, two weeks ago, last week, did his unity speech 
as the president-elect that every leader seems to believe, if I just get up here and say, let's all be united, that we're all going to go, oh, okay, drop everything and be united. But no human being, even with the power of the president, no human being has the authority to impose unity on any group of people. They would like to because it would make their job easier if there was no internal conflict in America, but they can't do it because no president will get up there and explain that unity only comes from God. You do not have an authority. You do not have a power to do this. And so how do we see unity building out in the New Testament? Jesus, when he is on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane to be arrested in John 17, stops and gives the most profound and far-reaching prayer called the High Priestly Prayer because he is putting himself in the prayer between man and God, which is what a priest does. And he says in verses 20 through 23, I do not ask for these only, meaning the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that's us, that they may all be one. One is a statement of unity. He wants us all to be one, just as Jesus and the Father are one. Now, that is a tight relationship, Jesus and the Father. And he wants the same unity that they have in our churches. And Jesus is praying for that. Why? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. If people out there see us and see our unity and see our togetherness, then they will say, I want that. Why? Because nothing in their life today, I mean, there's not even family unity. I've read statistics about how families are breaking up because of politics how families won't be getting together for Thanksgiving, not just because of COVID, but because of politics. It's breaking apart the unity of families. He continues, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. When we have a community here, when we can get together and have a, have a lunch after church and just talk about great and you know, whatever's going on in our lives and we're not throwing things at each other, we're not overturning tables, we're not being mean like everybody else seems to be today because we are all on the same page as Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ put his Holy Spirit in you when you accepted him, and we are one in that regard, and we can, during this hour every week, put aside 
politics, put aside crisis, put aside troubles and difficulties and in problems that occur, we can actually leave those outside those doors and come in here and focus just on God. So you say, well, how do we do that? How do we make sure we as a church do this? Well, God, Jesus, built his church in the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, three things are listed that they did which brought about unity. First, they were dedicated to the apostles' teaching. Back then, they only had the letters. They had separate letters. We have the whole Bible. We dedicate ourselves to the teaching of the Bible. Whatever goes on in this room during this time each week is centered on the Bible. Whatever goes on in Sunday school before this hour is centered on the Bible. When we had weekly Bible studies before COVID, we called them Bible studies because we were centered on the Bible. If we do everything we do centered on the Bible, we will all be on the same page. Secondly, they had fellowship. They had social times together. We try to do this during COVID. We try to do it once a month. We go into the fellowship hall. We sit six feet apart from one another and we have fellowship. We have social time. We talk about what's going on. We talk about our week and we eat food in front of each other. And that is something that builds trust. It builds a relationship. It is fellowship. And thirdly, we worship the one true and living God. We are not here for our own advancement. I do not come to church for what I will get out of it. I come to church for what I will give to God, which is my worship. We have set aside this time, and churches all over the world have set aside this time to come and focus on and worship the one and true living God. And when we do that, when we enter community with God, because we are in community with one another, we will be in unity. We will be one. Jesus told stories of people coming to the altar, coming to church, and having a hate for somebody in their mind. He said, go leave and take care of it. Go apologize to them. Go do whatever you have to do to get that out of your mind so that you can come to church and truly, truly worship God. And as you worship God, you are in community with God and you are in community with one another. And when it's all said and done and Jesus Christ comes back again and he calls us unto himself, there will be nothing different in the way that we function as a church except that it will be perfect. We all bring sin to church and we're all sinners. Well, that's going to end and we're all going to be glorified and we're going to have billions in a church service and everybody's going to understand every word and everybody's going to be in community and when it's all said and done, millions of years from now, because I don't know when Jesus Christ is coming back, Millions of years from now is a good bet. We are all going to be one in heaven. We're all going to be united in unity with God, with Jesus on the throne in Jerusalem. And all that we are practicing here 
will come true and complete in heaven. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, we do praise you that you have brought us together as a community, that you have brought us together as people who can share in the glory of God that we truly are one. We're not one in every little aspect, but we're one in Christ. We are one in the Holy Spirit. We are one in your word. Lord, we praise you for all of this. And we ask your blessing on the remainder of the day. We ask this in the blood of Christ. Amen. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 180 Llewellyn Boulevard, San Lorenzo, California. Our Sunday morning service is at 1045 a.m. Our website is livingfreetoday.org and our phone number is 510-278-2622. May God continue to bless you as you serve your King. God bless.